We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal's top four hopes strengthened as the transfer market looks set to deliver a third-choice goalkeeper. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, we might be getting a third-choice goalkeeper, but hey, hey, probably a second choice if our second choice leaves. So, top four, here we come. Um, I kid, but, you know, it is a little bit despairing news in the transfer market at the moment if you see the transfer market as a critical part of our season. I'm not as sure about that, and we'll definitely get to it. Uh, Clive and Phil Costa joined me yesterday for a Patreon pod on the squad building project, the allocation of resources, the Arsenal budget, and then we dove into all the salacious rumors. So if you want a deep dive on transfer rumors, you can definitely get it there. We're going to do some of that today, of course. Maybe laugh at Spurs, potentially getting gazumped by the uh, wilted, broken empty husk of a club that is Barcelona. So that's pretty funny. Um, We might talk about Adu being told by Daddy Warbucks, no, you cannot have the candy that you want. So there's a lot to get into and maybe our top four hopes generally. Too early for the Predictatron, but fear not, the Predictatron will make an appearance again this season. I am, if you can't tell, still recording from an undisclosed location. Banished. I am banished from my home and have been for 10 days, but I I hope to be returning tomorrow to see my children uh, who have not once complained about my absence. So we'll see how that goes. I hope my wife and the UPS driver are having a nice time in my absence. Clive is on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And Paul is on Twitter. Pause my pencil. Pause. Woohoo! I'm sure the UPS driver is delivering. Also, um, our third choice goalkeeper is our first choice third choice goalkeeper. As opposed to our third choice, first choice midfielder we might be trying to sign. Yeah, yeah. I see what you did there, Paul. I see yeah. what you did there. Um, Paul, let me just ask you generally, big picture, transfer rumors out there, things swirling around. How anxious are you about us getting business done? Like, To what extent do you think the squad absolutely needs these reinforcements or you are going to uh, grab a pitchfork, grab a torch, and head to the, uh, to the Emirates? Um, I don't have a pitchfork anywhere in sight. Um, I, we desperately need 
a striker. Um, but we should not get the wrong striker. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't get a striker even if he's not a worldie because we need two strikers. So it kind of depends on the scenarios. But they could go for a good striker who's not our ultimate striker if the price is right in this market. I don't see any of those kinds of rumors. But for me, it's about the striker. Uh, But I'd much prefer... Like, you don't do all of this house cleaning, getting the the scrubs out of your club, getting the, the dossers, getting the people we've decided don't fit out of the club only to get them back the next uh, uh, generation of, of uh, tumbleweed into your club, of deadwood, that's what I was looking for, into your club on high wages with high fees, locking yourself into a situation. We've got to a point where we, not just Arteta, and hopefully I do and the board but we really really like this squad it's like you got a really really cool party going don't then throw open the doors and let some scrubs into your party you got a really really cool group of people you like hanging around then don't just invite anybody into your group like you you got a a vibe going you all have a shared sense of humor. You all kind of a shared history. It's you're building something here. Don't don't throw it away. So the next like and the striker piece of it's so so essential to how we play and how we want to play. Um, that you know, do the right thing, get the right player, or pass for now. And I know we're closing close to getting into top four. But you can do that in multiple ways, and you can also miss top four in multiple ways, including getting the wrong striker. So I think we need to be brave. Uh, uh, I almost said the phrase, keep our powder dry for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think we should keep our powder dry. I just think we should use our powder wisely. And if it means passing this round, you know, poker... You don't go in heavy every hand. Uh, you pace yourself. So uh, I think we pace ourselves. And like I'm, I absolutely think if we can get a a top striker, um, it can make a world of difference. But if we can't, then let's not panic. Yeah, I mean, I find myself in a weird position because usually I am the voice of hysteria, and I, I just can't get there because I think. We have put ourselves in the position of being genuinely in the top four race by the absolute table right now, you know, in terms of games in hand and all that, maybe Spurs are just above us. Maybe we're just above them. Maybe we're just above United. They're just above us. You know, you can look at it however you want, but we are essentially level with United and Spurs. And we have gotten to that point with the squad we have. And that's including three games at the start of the season that we all wish didn't happen, but they did, and maybe you excuse them or maybe you don't, that's setting that aside. Like the irony is we only really clicked, you know, November-ish time, maybe if you want to talk about when clicking happened or didn't happen, November to and that was good enough to have us right there for top four. I just think the competition is very flawed. And I think that when you look at the fact that we have one game a week, 17 more games, if you get even a little bit lucky with help and you have Shaka and party together, or even one of them plus Samby. I think Samby plus one of them is, is pretty good for the average game. And you know, if Lacazette stays fit, you know, you get Pepe back. So you have a little rotation. Like, do I think the squad is perfect? Far, far from it. Do I think striker and midfielder are the next big pieces to take us up a level? 
I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Do I think we can and should, I should point out, and should finish top four from our current position with the squad we have and the competition we're up against? I think we should. Now, will I consider it a failure if we don't? No. I will be disappointed if we don't. And those things are different. We'll get into that a bit more, I think. But I I think, Clive, you know, you're, you don't have to finish top four against every team that ever historically finished top four. There are years where 71 points would have left you short. This may be a season where 64 points gets you there. And so you're only competing against the deeply flawed teams around you. And all you have to do is look at Spurs, hilariously not even seeming to be able to get Adama Traore in the face of Barcelona's interest, to know that the market is difficult and finding what you want is difficult. So before we get into some of the specific rumors and where we're going, what's your appraisal of our top four chances with the squad as it is currently constructed? And and is it fair to, I'm going to put the word expect in quotes, but expect this team to go right down to the wire for top four with this squad? I think it's fair to say that expectations have changed. And they've changed due to the success of the six players that we bought in the summer, of which a few of us didn't know a few of them. Right, so back a backup goalkeeper, we had no idea of the emotional impact he would have on the team, and also the technical impact, and you know his distribution and the claim wheel crosses and just his general synergy with the new centre half, shall we say? One's been there a year, but another one's coming at fifty million quid, a new right back. And, and back, you know, back up left back, shall we say? They had a strong period in the team, maybe during our strongest period in the season. You know, a, a backup centre midfielder that also had to play a big chunk of the season because our primary left-footed centre midfielder got sent off and injured. Right, so and also you might know the guard who was known to us and has obviously developed on into a serious technical leader within the team. So, because all of these things have happened, our expectations have changed. And now I heard you utter the word, we should get top four. And I have to be consistent and say, I wasn't... Ex- I w- no, I will be consistent and say, if we were going to get top four, it had to be this year because we were outside of Europe. Obviously, the schedule and the, the compression of the schedule and the winter break and COVID has maybe took away some of that advantage, maybe later on in the year, but we will see. Um, we're out of the cup, so we have got an opportunity. So, sneakily, I thought we had a chance of getting closer to the top four only because we had less games to play, you know? So do I think we're going to make it? I really think it's on the knife edge. It's a, it's a, it literally is a game-to-game thing, you know? It's a game-to-game thing. I think we can, but we need certain pillars to be there, the two centre-halves, the two centre-mids. And I'm afraid we need to find somebody else to get hot regarding goal scoring. And whether that's super sprightly Lacazette or reintroduction of Pepe or re- reintroduction of Aubameyang with the current squad, that is the options. You know, we need someone to get hot, goal-scoring-wise, to share the burden that Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Saka and up to a point Odegaard have carried this year. Um, and that's and that's what is going to happen. Um, Ella, you know your numbers. You, we're, we're, we're having a 20-shot game last game, I believe, and um, zero goals, right? So there's room to improve in that final third, whereas in other areas I feel we have the personnel that could get us close. But the juice is in the final third, mate, and we haven't got enough of that juice at the moment. We're a little bit dry. Yeah, and I want to be clear about like the top four thing. You have to evaluate the facts as they exist. Going into this season, one of the reasons that I think 
So the two principal reasons why I don't think top four was considered to be the goal is one, a Manchester United team that we expected to be pretty good looked like they would be solidified in that top four such that there wasn't a path to us getting there this season, that City, Chelsea, United, and Liverpool would be too strong. As it turns out, both United and, to some extent, Chelsea have not been as strong as we expected. Um, Now, look, I'm not saying we're going to chase down Chelsea. It's not really my point. It's the point that it has been a weaker league at the top than expected. Um, And so... That has changed the facts. I mean, if you told me going into the season, we will be basically odds on at the end of January to be top four against a weak United and a mediocre Spurs, I'd say, yeah, you have to go from that position and try to get it done. Um, and and I think it will depend how we play. If we play well and we just don't quite get there, so be it. And I take Clive's point that like striker does seem to be the issue because You've got a lot of young players who will ebb and flow a bit, and you need that one reliable goal scorer at the heart of it all. Um, and we, we, you know, we presently don't have that. So, you know, I do think that we undervalue Pepe. Pepe is a very frustrating player. He's also been our second leading goal scorer, I think, in two consecutive seasons. And he is someone that can come in, and and even if he drives you nuts with some of the things he does, he can win you a game spectacularly. I mean, I think if Pepe comes off the bench against Burnley we feel very different than if it's Eddie and Kedia coming off the bench against Burnley. So I, I can I tease that, that out yeah, a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if we, if we take our last game for an example, was the issue that we didn't have a goal scorer or the issue that we didn't actually create the kinds of chances that the people who have been scoring goals for us put away. Yeah, we um, had one big chance, right? I mean, it was the Lacazette yeah. chance, but really that's about it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, if we remember that chance, he had something to do with creating it, and mm-hmm. he was shooting with the outside of his foot across the goal. It probably, you, you know, it wasn't a fifty-fifty; it was probably a thirty percenter. Uh, I bet if we saw the xG, it might even be worse. So it was a good chance, and maybe he should have got into even better situations at times. But really, the problem with the Burnley game was we did not create enough good situations for the people who've been scoring for us. And that's our wide players, Odegaard uh, and Lacazette a little bit, other guys chipping in. And it seems like we've, and you look where Liverpool's goals come from, City's goals, Chelsea's goals, you know, they're not coming from Lukaku. They're coming from all over. And so I want a striker. But I don't actually think it's the be-all and end-all of whether we continue our goal-scoring efforts. Because these days, and based on how we play, it's a lot of things. And so I'm all in for a striker. Would love a striker. Would love the options to bring on a Vlahovic or to play a Vlahovic. Um, Would love some aerial threat. Um, But... Goals are scored by multiple ways, and we may just be able to keep our uh, our goal scoring and our goal creativity going, which has been reasonably good in recent times. Uh, you know what what happens if if Lacazette gets injured? Um, that would be bad, but he seems to be strong and fit these days and can go best part in 90 minutes and we'll be playing one game a week because we're out of the cups and you know this is our competition so again not sure like i'm nervous i'm not fully confident that that 
that uh, everything's good, but it might be okay. Uh, and I think we're all saying the same things in many ways. Um, but I think the issue against Burnley and in other ga- games, uh, I wish Lacazette was more of a killer in front of goal. But I actually think the games where we struggled to score, uh, and you made a really good point on Enketi and putting away a couple of chances, etc. But I think even in those games, those were games where we didn't create and generate chances. And there will be games like that, and it would be nice to do better. But the best solution to handling games like that is to have fewer and fewer of them because we play better and better in terms of the team, the synchronicities, as we've we've seen during this season. And basically, that's what I'm hoping for. Where's our improvement in the run-in? I hope it's more and more games where we're playing our football as we have since it's begun to click. So we need as many of our players. I think it's as much about Tommy Yasu being available, Ben White playing in his position, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, our, our, our midfield in place, um, and everybody being basically pretty fit and healthy and us having our backups for midfield, et cetera, so that we can keep playing our game. And that's where we get our goals. Yeah, it's a tough season to analyze in some ways. And look, I know that there are people who are more frustrated with us, more frustrated with the team, more frustrated with the manager, who feel that there is this unfair discourse that anytime we go through a bad run, there are caveats that mean you're not allowed to criticize. I am sympathetic to that. What I mean by that is we had those first three games of the season. They were dreadful. And then there's the caveats. Oh, but we didn't have these players and we were playing hard teams and you know we didn't have our new signings. And then we go through a bad January, but there's caveats. Well, we played a shadow squad against Forrest and we were down to 10 men against Liverpool and we didn't have our midfield against Liverpool or Burnley. And so I, I do just want to speak for the people who are frustrated because they feel that any criticism that's leveled against this team or against this manager is always met with some caveat about, well, the situation wasn't perfect. And I get that part of being a manager is finding ways to use what's available to you when things aren't going perfectly to still play your football and still get your results. But I have to admit, and I don't think anyone would confuse me for an excessive optimist, I find myself on the other side of the argument this time. I find that when we've had most of our squad constructed as it is available, that we have clicked and played some really interesting, exciting, and and I think encouraging football and I think if we come back from the break with that group and play the football we saw against City and at the end of December, then I think we will be fine. And I will also confess that I will use that period to try to see if maybe I have overlooked causes for criticism during January. So so there's a lot to still be decided. Clive, the, the interesting thing about the transfer market is it does appear that the hierarchy at the club is very plugged into it. So one of the theories I've had is that KSE's ownership is really just about hiring the right people because when you hire the right people, you get good results and you hire the wrong people, you get bad results because they're not super plugged in otherwise. And Raul's tenure really spoke to that because we made a lot of really ridiculous moves that didn't make a lot of sense and they just seemed willing to rubber stamp them. Well, maybe that's not the case anymore because the reporting coming out of The Athletic is that the Arthur Mello deal has basically been shot down by AFC hierarchy. Adu wanted to get it done. Now, I will confess that Arthur Mello is not a player I particularly want and I don't think if he came in tomorrow that we're better. Other people may disagree, but I'm more curious, in addition to whether you want that player, to how you react, Clive, to the suggestion that um, 
the hierarchy are are making these kind of decisions and and do you think it is a sign of the the of of the regime not being backed or just a sign that the hierarchy want involvement in the specific decision making well, to me it's a sign that we're making collective decisions which i think is really good uh, rather than one or two people working with one or two agents and overpaying them you know so i'd much rather do that this way around and and we challenge each other the record in the last couple of weeks has been really really good so if this is how they're working then i like it right so on arthur mello i spoke to our brazilian correspondent a guy called tim stillman and he reckons <laughs> that he is uh tim was never that excited about him if i'm honest um it's a great one-liners on twitter about his recovery skills <laughs> off the ball um on the ball he's quite neat right he's a lovely neat player can play the can play the, the short passes etc and retain the ball which is something that we need but i think we need other things as well so 18 six month loan deals if you're going to move an el nenny out and uh and Mayla niles has gone out i'd say oh that works 18 months and a big investment that doesn't work that just stops you doing something else we had that done in sabias let's not do it again let's focus on what we want to do Let's focus on getting the right people in that are going to be here for the medium to longer term. Right? So let's not have somebody else's loan player that we ha- we feel duty-bound to play in European semifinals. Right? Don't want that anymore. Right? So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm all for it. As long as we're learning lessons on previous experiences, that, that makes absolute sense. And can I just touch on the striker thing a little bit? Um, I, I mean, just, yeah, we're definitely going to touch on it. So, yeah, fire away, please. Oh, sorry, just to follow on from what Paul was saying, actually, because it's a really interesting thread of conversation. The only reason that I'm thinking we need a striker is is because our captain and striker, somebody we thought was going to be a key member of the squad, is no longer a key member of the squad. And, and that means we've left an exposure in our forward line. And what that's done is put an extra responsibility onto our younger players, of which one of them is creaking with a groin injury and the others are playing to almost exhaustion or out of position to cover the fact that our two centre midfielders are under under suspension. So that collective that drove us to a good number of goals in December has been disrupted. So our natural tendency is to think we need another forward player to ease the burden, add options, share the minutes, with that group of players. If Aubameyang was reintroduced into the group, if Pepe was given a more prominent role in the group, I don't think we'd be talking about strikers or anybody. The, the squad is actually okay, you know? So, but it's those issues that are hanging over us that make us think we need to, we need to vary this because some of those players who we know and love, those younger players, were literally running on fumes in that Burnley game. And that's why I didn't quite get the result that we hoped we would get because there was just nothing there to change or add or add some possess to, to, to get us over the line. So that's where so, I am really. So Clive, how do you feel like we're going to get whatever 15 days here and hopefully the guys recover your mm. Smith rows, etc. And uh, we'll have our midfielders back party and Chaka. Yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, I don't think we're miles off. We probably see it the same way. It would be great to get a striker, but if we have, assuming we're basically fit and healthy in whatever it is, 14 days and, and counting, um, how do you feel? 
if a tweet comes out and you got you got Arteta and Aubameyang hugging each other in Dubai, then <laughs> squad discussion's over, right? Yeah, but yeah. I don't think any like you don't expect that, do you? I certainly no. don't. I don't think so. Any, do, I don't, don't expect think. that, and yeah. I don't expect you know. And I'll be honest with you, my my faith in um, Eddie and Ketio isn't quite where it should be to get us to the top four. Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, risk management, let's have a look at this. What do I need to make sure that happens? I need to make sure I have another forward option. There, you know, I've loaned out a young player because he needs to develop in Balogun. And so I need to create another forward option. So is Pepe going to have a more prominent role? Is Bam going to come back in? Or are we going to bring somebody in for the, for the short-term loan? Or we we bring something forward that we can add to the group. Because I do think, Paul, and this is where I do agree with anything you said, the way we play, it's a, it's a sum of many parts, and they need to be there for us to be at our optimal. We haven't got a situation where we've got four or five fully-fledged internationals on the bench. Most of our top players are on the pitch, right? So we need to make sure that all the sum of our parts are there so we can play our normal positional play with the right balance of players in the right areas. And we have an opportunity to maybe play those younger players who are not playing in Europe to play us down the pitch a little bit longer to give us what we need. But I will say, with the Aubameyang situation and maybe a lack of faith in Pepe from the manager, I think we look a little bit light in the top end of the pitch. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> it's tough because I I, I want to... Lacazette comes in for a lot of criticism. We joke about him, and, like, I understand why. Harry Kane has taken more shots in January than Lacazette has this season. Like, I I do think he is insufficient as a goal threat. But I do want to also acknowledge that I think the best football we've played in a long time has been played with Lacazette linking play and dropping in and doing really important stuff for us that works that doesn't look like it works when he's not there. Um, That's not to say we shouldn't upgrade on him. We should. But I am inclined to say that, like, for a player who has no future at the club, who's playing for his next contract somewhere else, I think his commitment, his work, his quality has been very, very important to us looking like something of a decent footballing side again, albeit without the goal threat that we'd ideally like to see from him. But Paul, um, just quickly, I, I do want to get your sense on this Arthur Mello thing. Like it is, mm. you know, sometimes things change your worldview. And my worldview has always sort of been that KSE doesn't intervene in the decisions that the director of football and the manager make. They might say, I'm not willing to give you the money, but they don't intervene from a footballing standpoint. And I don't believe for a second that they wouldn't sanction this financially. I think this is a sign of them intervening uh, qualitatively, not quantitatively. You see what I mean, right? Like, Like, I don't think they went and just said, no, we don't want to spend that much this window. I could be, and I could be wrong, of course. So I want your take on that. But like, I get the sense that this, if the reporting is accurate, I get the sense that this is more. They don't think this is the guy, and that is a very, very interesting shift for me. And I do think that this is really, really interesting because, Paul, we cannot get this wrong. We cannot get this next set of moves wrong, striker and midfielder. And the reason I say that is, we are building something very special: Saka, Martinelli, Smith Rowe, Odegaard. We still have party in his prime for a bit. Obviously, Benjamin White, Tomiyasu, Gabriel, Tierney and Tavares and Ramsdale. It's a young core. It's a core that will grow together. It's a core that in the next few years could do very special things. And, oh, by the way, we're going to need to convince a few of them to re-sign on again. 
If you get striker wrong, if you get the next anchor in the midfield wrong, you really could not just keep us from finishing top four, but create a situation where this really exciting young group doesn't develop into what it needs to be. No pressure, guys. But so so I do think that we cannot get this wrong, especially with striker. But but I think with these next moves, they got to be the, the round peg in the round hole, exactly what we're looking for, because the base of the project, the core of the project, looks too special to squander it on the next Willian or the next, with all due respect, Ceballos or whatever it is. So what what do you think about the the involvement, seemingly, of, of the hierarchy in actual qualitative decisions about the targets? Yeah, so we're all reading the tea leaves here. So it's just my my guess, my speculation from from reading the various reportings. But I think Josh is pretty involved. He's spent quite a bit of time in London. Um, he's uh, the reporting is that he and Arteta are pretty close. Arteta has just gone to the U.S. to spend time over there. Uh, the reporting was he's gone to ask for money. Uh, I'm sure. That's always a bit of a factor, but I, it's probably a lot more with making sure they're all aligned on their decisions, their planning, uh, and it's much more about being in step and having a reading. Like, you can invest money if you have a feel for the business. I think the problem with Stan Kroenke all along is he was, you know, it's not his generation. It's not not a sport he understands or responds to. And it's not that the Cronkies would never have spent money. They did. Uh, back when you might say that that Stan was still uh, the, the key figure in all of this, uh, we spent quite a bit of money on players like Ozil, Alexis, and then uh, multiple strikers. When we still had Giroud, we got uh, Lacazette, we got uh, Aubameyang, you know, we got Pepe, and yes, during that time, Josh's profile and involvement in the club has in- increased. But I think we all get the sense now that, of course, ultimately Stan can say no. But unless he says no, all the guesses are coming through Josh. Uh, Josh was the one who said, "Be excited." And I know we have a bit of a negative reaction to that now. That was the summer of Pepe, and. Uh, actually, we had a lot of fun that summer. I think we got our money's worth uh, for the summer and the transfer window. That was the Raul transfer window. And let's be honest, it was a shitload of fun. Unfortunately, the chickens came home to roost with the decision making. But to, I don't know if we ever want to give the Cronkies credit, but to the Cronkies credit, they stuck with it. They're still investing. Um, and my sense of it is Josh gets it, at least a, at the level you might hope and expect Josh Kroenke to get it. He understands the sport at a certain level. He's he's now gone through the trials and tribulations of the last 12, 24 months, made mistakes with us, the Williams of this world, maybe the Obama-Yang deal. And he's looking back on all of that and learning, hopefully. And with Edu, with Arteta, uh, with... Um, Tim Lewis, who's a key figure in terms of the board and communications, I think there's a a a, a think tank there. Maybe that's the wrong word, but a collective of decision making, executive decision making, and we really liked what they did last summer. And to your point, they really like what we did last summer. Like you don't normally get all your transfers working out. 
and we spent a shitload of money getting players out of the club. And that's a serious, serious commitment to to say to, to push those players out and to accept the manager's view that the go-forward plan me- means letting go of those assets. And here we are uh, making decisions and making tough decisions. When you look at the Arthur Mellor one, like I like his YouTube videos. I think that kind of a player is something we really want, but I don't think we want an 18-month commitment and a com- commitment to buy a player for 40 million who was not our primary target before the window opened and just looks like a very good player who we could use and again it takes us a stiff spine to sit to walk away from deals too and it's much more important the deals you walk away from as we have seen like the club isn't going to keep doing what they've done over the last 12 months. They're not going to keep letting assets go that didn't pan out and cost us a shitload of money. I think this is it. And while we have a sense that something special is happening, I think the club probably have a sense that something special is happening and they need to make that we won't get a second and a third go at this and we need to get this right. And. Mm. I'm generally encouraged and I'm okay if we don't buy anybody because I see it as a continuation of making the right moves and avoiding the wrong moves. Yeah. Don't, don't get this wrong. Don't, yeah. Don't get, you know, don't throw a Willian into this group. It's not worth it over a panic in January. And if you have a summer move, you can pull forward right now that gets you top four. You want to do that, but don't make the wrong move. Well, speaking of getting the right talent and not bringing in the wrong talent, I think you know that there is one way to bring in the right talent, and that is obviously to choose indeed. Uh, if you don't have the right players on the field with the right skills, then you can't win. It's not really, it's really that simple. I think we know that pretty clearly. Well, the same goes for your business, and indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring the best talent. If you need to hire, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. It's the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Again, I still think the transfer market needs to incorporate that concept. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites or, you know, News Now and you know, whatever other site you use for random hope and and rumors. Uh, hoping to find the right candidates with the right skills. You need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process for finding great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews with Instant Match. As soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Imagine, we just invite Holland to apply to be our striker. He's got all the right qualities, I would say. Plus, you only pay for quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I think it sounds pretty good to me. So, uh, there's Instant Match. There's, uh, what else do they have? They have, oh, well, with Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. There's just a lot of good stuff. I'm just, I mean, just reading off this page, everything you read about them is just, they're amazing. I mean, that sums it up, right? Uh, start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Clive, that enough of that? Indeed. <laughs> Touche. Well done. Uh, yeah, not my smoothest, but you know what? We're not grading on smooth ad reads here. We're grading on whether we get the right talent in the transfer market. And so, Clive, um, 
Mm. Let me get you on record here. Do you think we're bringing anybody in? And and how do you think it shakes out? Who do you think it is? What do you think we do? I think oh, I don't know, man. My that, my life changes in in a tweet. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm just reading here that the goalkeeper situation will probably not happen now, but happen in the summer. You know, so that'll be a done deal then, and that'll allow Leno maybe to move on to a club of his choice. He'll have more choices in the summer, and we then roll forward with those goalkeepers. So maybe we don't even do a goalkeeper. The midfield situation, I have a liking for um, Douglas Louise. And again, I've just just read that his uh, agent is one Kia Jarabchin. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, he who is known to Arsenal Football Club. So that is an interesting one. Um, no doubt Kia will do us a deal, you know, and um, so I expect that to be fine. Um, so that's an interesting one from a, an agent perspective, seriously, and... A football perspective, I, I do think he has a lot of the attributes that we need and we dismiss from our minds, but we need those combative, ball-playing strength abilities in our team to supplement some of our lighter-touch attacking midfielders that we have aplenty. Right? So, um, mm. And the striker situation we've spoken about, and there's a hole there that can be filled with um, some marriage counselling but I'm not sure we're going to do that, right? So, so, and it's not only because I think we have a gap to fill, I also feel we have to protect the careers and the legs of those young superstars who literally have the world at their feet and we don't want to see in a situation where they are struggling with injuries later in their careers because we overplayed them in their growing years as their bodies were still forming and I think that's a key thing when it comes to player welfare. We have to be careful of to share those minutes. Again, we have players there that can do that. But as I say, they may not be flavour in a month. So so that's why I am. So we can literally do zero, Elliot, or we could do the centre mid and the forward. And it all depends on who goes out of the club. And um, so there's no definitive for me on record. Just wait and see. It's weird to me that you just keep skipping over the third choice goalkeeper that is going to turn our season. But you know, turn I get it, turn our season, turn our season. <laughs> Even when I'm not trying to be clever, I mean, it just comes so naturally for me. Uh, Paul, the uh, club brought up the marriage counseling with the striker thing. I mean, the funny thing is, I I think we're playing better football with Lacazette than Aubameyang. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Aubameyang being available to play for us the balance of the season would make us a stronger side. I mean, I don't know how much stronger. I don't know how good he'd be. I don't know if he'd be better than Lacazette. I mean, it, it, all of that is remains to be seen. I think some of the way we played with Aubameyang before Lacazette became the starter is hard to measure because things like Martinelli wasn't a regular yet and the system was changing still a little bit. And so, I, you know, we were still incorporating the new signings. So there's a lot of noise to the signal. But I don't get the sense that there's a reconciliation coming, which also makes it a little weird that there's this reporting that he could go to uh, – is it, is it Saudi Arabia is the club that wants it? Uh, a club in Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah, and, though all and, the reporting, I think, from his side is he wants to stay in Europe. He's still okay. an important player, blah, 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 still has ambition. Yeah, because I had read reporting that was like Arsenal are reluctant. And I'm like, that. there's no world where that can possibly be true, uh, right? I mean – yeah. <laughs> so it, that would be a solution to a problem Arsenal have dropped themselves in, and I think they'd bite anybody's arm off. Can I can I ask you then though, like, doesn't Aubameyang have an awful lot of reason 
to find reconciliation here if possible because, I mean, granted, he's going to get paid either way. But if he has an aspiration to still play any football and do it in Europe, the only way that's going to happen is if someone sees him on the pitch this season, right? Yeah, but, uh, like, I just don't think it's going to happen now. I don't think whatever – you've taken the Aubameyang view, which is not my default on this one. I kind of feel the club now has decided and Arteta has decided – um, I don't know if it was a hard line to begin with, um, but I kind of think from Arteta's side, from the squad side, there isn't really a road back. And mm. uh, to your point, Aubameyang at this stage, I don't think psychologically, like it's just at this stage, it's bad mojo. It can't work. It won't work. Don't do it. Like uh, sometimes there's no going backwards. And this is one of those times. And uh, uh, from my own personal feelings on it, we weren't better with Aubameyang. We've rarely been better with Aubameyang. Uh, and I think the like we we talk a lot about the original uh, deal with Aubameyang and age curves and mistake. Like for me, the original deal, the original scene with Aubameyang was, and this is where they got it wrong, and this is where Arteta got it wrong was not the, like, I, I, I didn't like the deal to begin with, uh, but I had less issues about age curve and that kind of stuff. Looking back on it, my biggest issue with it all was they didn't know how they wanted to use him, or effectively anyway. Um, we've Ironically, we've seen with Martinelli what I think the whole idea was, how it was supposed to work with Aubameyang from the left. Uh, I mean, he was already playing like that way for us. Um, we all kept saying, depending on who, who we is, that, uh, you know, eventually he needs to be moved centrally or he'll be better centrally. But what I think we can all agree is it never really worked that well um, for a protracted period. And my... My feeling on the original scene with the Aubameyang deal was way too much money for you not to know how you're going to use him. I'm I'm sure they had ideas how they were going to use him, but it didn't work. I, I've never really seen Aubameyang play for us since uh, Emery and Arteta, where I've thought, oh yeah, this 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 guy really fits into our style of play, and that to me is the original sin of the Aubameyang re-up on his contract. So much money. He was all our goals at the time. So I kind of like I, I kind of get it, even though I was against the deal at the time. I did think he'd have the legs. I did think didn't think the age curve would be the issue. We could still debate all of that. But for me now the original sin is that we he never really worked from the left. We don't really want him through the middle because it doesn't give us enough and this system really works with somebody dropping deeper and letting Saka and Martinelli have the angles to get in behind or to get into the spaces and score the goals and have runners come through from midfield and Lacazette does that better and so I'm not hankering actually to get Aubameyang into the squad I'd absolutely love if we got him out got like lovely fella uh, great finisher uh, great striker for the right system but not for us mm. 
Clive, I, I mean, I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. And and in addition, let's say Lacazette got injured. I mean, let's let's hope not. But let's say it happened. I mean, we are in that weird position, right, where none of us think Lacazette is good enough, and we also feel like we can't bear to possibly have him miss a game. It is a little weird. Assuming Aubameyang isn't the answer and can't be the answer for a variety of reasons, how would you solve any period for the balance of this season where Lacazette was not available? Uh, assuming that you know the dream striker like Isaac doesn't show up on our doorstep um, at the end of the window. <laughs> Cracky, a lot of hypotheticals there. I think um, you know the team develops. You know, the, 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 our wide players have developed. I mean, Marcelli was nowhere near the picture at the start of the season, really, opposed to his own Brentford experience. Now he's developed into, I think he was Premier League fan player of the month in December. I mean, mm-hmm. that's from literally nothing to the, the one of the best players, form players in the league. Right? So that's how things quickly can change. Smith-Rowe had a golden month, made his England debut. Saka's recovered a high level of form. And Odegaard has just turned into a monster leader and a, a, a technician. of the. I can only say to you, I can't tell you how much I rate his technique and his uh, vision and his abilities to want to bring the team and drive the team forward. So this has all developed into a picture. Then, and I think Lacazette has read the room better than Aubameyang. He's worked out, I've got a role to play with this group and I need to be the person and do the stuff that they can't do, right, to enable them. And he's worked it out really quickly. We all want a bit more from that hence why we talk about strikers most of our waking days, right? So we want a bit more... If Lacazette's not there, then currently there's only Eddie, isn't there? There's only Eddie, and um, I think that's not gonna that's not gonna make me sleep easy, right? Because oh, are, last- are you ready to say? And and I think we should let Paul go here. So Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! I will be seeing or hearing from Paul in the near future. I have no doubt. Uh, Clive, do you think it is fair? Like I, I've sort of. I'll just look. I'll just admit it. I've I've given up on Eddie. I, I don't think he's the solution. I if Laka wasn't available, I'd, I'd look other directions. I mean, do you think that's harsh, or are you kind of ready to reach that conclusion yourself? Yeah, I I don't like giving up on players. You know me. I always think there's something yeah. you can fix people. There's always something you can fix them with. But you know, I just I need to see it. Right. I need to see you know technique and delivery under pressure. You know, not on the good days of playing lower league opposition. No, on the Big days away from home in the north of England. Can you put the ball in the net from two yards, please? Can you do that? Right? And if you do that, trust me, I'll eat humble pie all day long. And we're talking about a project here, which has surprised many of us. A huge investment, not just with new players, but with players being paid off to make room for the new players and create a new culture and environment, which we think we can grow into the grow and connect with and we've also talked about the unity and the connection between the team and the fans etc it's a much happier place to be and and that and that's it so for eddie now will he go, is he going to take that i think it's unfair to ask him um he has obviously decided he wants to make his money which is his right he wants to make his money elsewhere he wants to grow his career elsewhere he wants to make sure that he's advantaged from a fiscal perspective and that is absolutely his right to do that and um and we have to but we can't carry that risk. We can't carry somebody who's looking out for his next deal, talking to his next club, while trying to get this group of young men into the to the European elite competition. We we can't carry that. So I'm I, I'm I'm giving up 
emotionally on it, you know. And um, to be fair to Lacazette, I give him huge credit. He has the same contractual situation, but you would never know watching him. Yes, he has limitations. Yes, he has physical limitations at certain periods in the game. But there are other times when he absolutely exceeds those physical expectations and surprises me and gives us a game that out of nowhere that's just amazing. Right? So, but again, it's a tenuous situation contractually, and it's not, and that's not where you want to be. And the Bam Yang situation we all know about. So we just need to decide, right? We need to move forward. And um and that's why the easiest thing in your mind is to have somebody new and shiny to talk about. Right? So and that's it. Um and that's why that's where I am, right? So I was having a discussion today on the Discord channel and we were talking yesterday with, with Phil and Miguel about the centre forward position and I think almost we've all become football experts and everybody knows every single player that's available under the age of 23. We all know his FB ref bars. We know everything about them, right? So, and I'm starting to think there's absolutely no bargains out there. And it's almost as though I get caught between wanting the Isaacs of this world versus wanting to build our own, right? Because I worry about these players coming on big numbers and how people will judge them i think it's a massive problem right and um we don't allow people to develop we don't you know we don't we say we do but we don't when they have a bad game we're after them no matter what their ages are we look at the price tag we look at it we don't care about your adaptation we say other managers made them adapt we look for someone to blame and we don't create that environment that allows people to grow and that's again fans are fans, right? But that's 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 the truth. So I worry about that. So I think I'd much rather build these players. But even the ones you have to build are really expensive. So they carry that wave of expectation. And everyone knows the Premier League has money. And I it's a very difficult situation. My <laughs> when I was a bit younger and I didn't have much money, I used to go to Sainsbury's and I used to have, worry about how much I would spend. And I was always told, Don't go to Sainsbury's if you haven't eaten, if you're hungry, because you'll spend more money. And it's very similar to Arsenal. Everyone knows we're hungry and we need these situations sorted out. Everyone knows the contractual situation and we have no leverage. And it is a, it is a huge challenge. So, yeah, Elliot, what's the answer? I'm, I'm generally not sure. Um, but let's see what happens. I think the next five or eight or nine days, we're going to find out, right? So we're going to yeah, find well, out. one way or the other. I, I think... So a few things, right? I, I think um, I'm at the point with the squad now that if you said to me Lacazette was out for any extended period of time, I would rather see if you could play Smith Rowe left and Martinelli through the middle or keep everything as it has been and put Pepe through the middle and see how that works more yeah. than starting with Eddie and Kedia up front. And again, that's not me killing Eddie, but if you told me that Nketiah two seasons from now is playing his trade for a team in the middle of the championship, like... I don't think that would surprise me. Not because I think he's bad at football, but I think he is a tier down level-wise. And I I think given the contractual situation too, I'd just rather try it with players that are signed up and still have a lot to prove for Arsenal um, as opposed to his situation. I, I'm yeah. going to go body language here, and people are going to kill me for this. I didn't love his body language in the Burnley game. He went down at one point kind of like like he had maybe like a little twist of the ankle or a little calf strain, um, uh, cramp or something and sort of like stayed down in the box just kind of slow to get up when everybody's running around trying to get the winner. I just – I don't know. I, I don't want to go too deep on body language because people hate that stuff. I know it. But like um, 
So yeah, I'd rather go that direction. I mean, in terms of Isaac, I know you really like the player. You know, you talked about bargains. It's funny, one of the ways that Arsenal have really thrived in the past is buying players who were once very, very highly regarded, who maybe had just hit a rut in their career at a bigger club. So like Alexis yeah. from Barca, Ozil from Madrid, even Thierry Henry from Juventus a little bit. Like you, you could make an argument about that one way or the other. But like, you know, I, I don't, so we, I sort of wonder where that path to a bargain is, but still getting someone that everybody's going to be really excited about. Isaac is a player that l- apparently likes Arsenal. You feel he really fits. My biggest worry with Isaac is more of the, do we get another guy who likes to run the channels who we find ourselves saying, well, I guess he's more left winger than striker. Like I don't, you know, I don't yeah. really know exactly there. But for you, I think that's that's the guy you would you would want us to to go big for. Yeah, that's that's the guy that I think is most doable because we have to sp- spend money on a release clause, which I don't like doing. Um, but it, it is what it is. Um, I don't think he's the perfect fit. But I've started. I need to say to my, I need to slap myself and say, who is the perfect fit? Right? Uh, you know, just. Th- just not, let's not look at that. Let's just look at a game-by-game basis. Does he have attributes that can fit the group? Absolutely. He's got size. He's got speed. He's got carrying ability, real strong dribbling ability. So unlike Aubameyang, he can really look after football and he can carry it. I saw a great article the other day. I haven't read it yet, but I just saw one line in it. And he said, and the way he described him, he described um, Isaac as like Kevin Durant, somebody that, Really tall take, and gangly. Yeah, and I love that description because he's really tall and gangly, but he's got the abilities of a smaller man. And I thought that's a genius description because, like Kevin Durant, very slim, but very, you know, the ability to move the ball and do amazing things finishing wise. He's just exceptional. I thought it was a wonderful way to, to write about players. And, and I like the idea of it, right? But I like the idea of it when it was like 30 million. You know, and it's now seventy-five, and this is the challenge. So, I, I said yesterday, um, you know, I do like um, you know, winger forwards, and I mentioned a couple, and one has come to be linked actually in um, in Cody Gakpo, and I really like him. Another tall, wide forward that c- can play in central areas. I like Raphael Liao. I like Kulusevski at um, Juventus again. A winger forward that can play inside and out. Kulusevski is more of a false nine rather than a a true runaway nine. But I think he can play that false nine role beautifully, but also play on the right. I like these adaptable winger forwards that can play both sides but play centrally. And you almost develop your own without the weight of the seventy-five million pound price tag and all the expectations that we would naturally place upon them. Right. So that's yeah. the challenge we have going forward, and that's why I'm in my mind. Let's finish with this just real quick, Clive. How do you expect us to play when we come back from the break? I mean, one of the debates that I was having in the Discord today was, is January a relevant data point for who we are? And I find it really tricky because, like, we played arguably one of our best performances the entire season on New Year's Day against City, and I think we were sort of very unlucky and maybe robbed, if you want to go that far to say it. Then we used a shadow squad against Forest. Then we were down to 10 men away to Liverpool. Then we had no midfielders for Liverpool. Then we had no, you know, only Samby against Burnley and did create enough to win the game against a good defensive team, but didn't quite get there. And again, I'm not excusing any of this, but like those would be the caveats. And I started the pod by saying, I think people get frustrated that there's always caveats when there's criticism. So I, I hear that, but like, I can't decide if I expect to see the team that finished December and started January looking like 
a powerhouse, legitimately a powerhouse, or if what happened in January is indicative of some sort of turn back to a more stale arsenal. And I, I don't know which I believe. I think I'm prepared to believe that what we saw towards the end of December is what we can see again after the break. But yeah. I'm curious, let's say there are no signings. Do you expect to see us pick up from the city performance with everyone back and rested and ready to go? Well, the city performance was special, right? And that was that left me just like spellbound. It was, it was so good. And by the way, I, I know, Clive, there are going to be listeners who are frustrated. It's like only Arsenal would be spellbound and and you know loving oh, a loss at home I, to I a team. But you and I are you and I are of the same mind here. Yeah, I don't I don't care, right? Because we haven't played against elite, elite teams to that level for many a year, right? So I didn't say the result was made me spellbound. I thought certain parts of that performance absolutely did until we derailed, right? So what's really happened in January was we played the two best teams three times at a time when our squad is bereft due to loans, AFCON, suspension, and injury. And I'm afraid the... The orange has been squeezed dry. The spark has been squeezed out of our team. Liverpool are not dumb. They worked out where our strength was and they marked them. Right? So teams are looking at us and thinking, they're quite good. Let's have a look at them. Okay, you need to stop that Martelli bloke. You need to stop him. You need to stop that Saka quickly. Let's stop him. And we're now being scouted again. And that's what happens. When we find a new balance, they scout it. So we need to create a new balance from this, another another phase, and we need to evolve the team again. And this is why we're looking at other areas. That's mm-hmm. before we've lost him for a bit of injury, though he showed some bright sparks against Burnley. Then we immediately took him off, <laughs> and then um, and so and and Lacazette, we're looking at Lacazette. Well, who's inconsistent, right? So, so this is why we're all looking at these areas. So I fully expect us to put some more juice back in the orange, to rest up, to come back, and to be able to hit a decent level. Over a calendar year, we've been around the top four just on points gained. So why would we Why would you see that drop away as we learn more experiences and we develop and get strength from a young group growing together? So I expect us to get back to a really good level against opposition that's not quite as good as Liverpool and Man City, who are basically the two best teams in the league and potentially will be in the last four of any Champions League this year. So... That's where we are. So we we can take lessons from that from those games. We can judge our level from those games. But the next set of games in the next two months are really going to define where we end up in the rest of the league. Yeah. Well, and I'm no one's going to want to hear this from me, but I'm still pretty optimistic about that. So let's see how it goes. I think in the rush to have a strong opinion or a conclusion after every performance or every transfer window. I think context gets lost. And in much the same way that I wasn't sold on the post-Boxing Day narrative last season, because I think, you know, it's an arbitrary timeline, the month of January is arbitrary. Why not December and January? Why not November, December, January? Why not what we've done this season? And when you expand out and add the context, I think there's still cause for encouragement but I would not deny anybody who wants to say, I'm frustrated we went out of two domestic cups. I'm frustrated with how we played. I totally hear you. I'm not going to try to win you over with the caveats. I just think that, you know, these arbitrary measures like January has been bad. Yeah, it looks fun to write down on a website, you know, Arsenal haven't scored a goal in January or, you know, haven't. Well, we we did. 
actually. We have one goal in January. But like, that's an arbitrary distinction. So let, let's see what happens after the break. We'll come back with another pod on Monday. We got a, a lot more to do. We'll, we'll probably, my hope is, do some kind of deadline day live stream. That's all up in the air a little bit with my, my plans in terms of getting home, but I plan to get home tomorrow. So if that happens, look for some uh, fun deadline day uh, live stream type stuff. So we'll leave it there. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith, the Black Man Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, plenty to do before the deadline, hopefully. Maybe it'll deliver something special, and we hope to be there uh, discussing it with you. So we love you, and we'll talk to you after our Snowtown Wolves now. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.